Did your favorite NFL team win the Super Bowl? No? Then the NFL Draft is your Super Bowl. I'm Danny Heifetz, and from now until the draft, we are turning our fantasy football show feed into the Ringer NFL Draft Show. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we talk about the top players and most important storylines for the NFL Draft. So join us on the Ringer NFL Draft Show. It's the Ringer's Philly Special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up. And with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to a new episode of the Ringers Philly Special. Shield Kapati here. It's the Thursday show. First segment, I've got on one of my favorites, Fran Duffy from PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And then segment two, of course, Cliff's group chat. We'll talk some Sixers, make our predictions for the series. We'll talk some Phillies level of panic. But first, I mean, this guy, you know, if, if a team, which they never would do, would hire me to be their GM, my first call would be to Fran Duffy. Fran, you are in charge of my draft. Put the board together. Hire whatever scouts you want. I'm not. All right, I'll interfere a little bit, but still, I'll let you. You know, have uh, enough say. One of the best draft analysts and best analysts out there. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Shiel, uh, always a pleasure. Really appreciate you having me on. I mean, you and you and Cliff were just yucking it up before the show. I mean, temp. All I saw was Temple on my screen. They both got the cherry shirts on. Franz, you know, the the paint on his walls looks a little cherry. They're talking Elkins Park, Cheltenham. I thought we we're gonna have to delay the pod uh, for like an hour, but we were able to get started here. It's a beautiful day. All right, here's the exercise, Fran. Let's you know mix it up a little bit. So, what are what? Are, first, uh, tell me this: What are the plans for PhiladelphiaEagles.com like on draft night? Have those been ironed out yet? Tell the people what you're going to do because we're going to mix in a, a little bit of that here. Sure. So uh, it is a pretty ironed out, not completely hashed out, but we're pretty close. Uh, the shortened off season made that made the planning a little bit difficult. But um, I think right now, as it stands, we're going to have uh, myself, uh, Gabriella DiGiovanni and Ross Tucker. Uh, the three of us on desk uh, will have a, a pre-show going into night one of the draft. And then after, as soon as on one ends, uh, we're going to go 
and just talk through whatever happened for the Eagles. If they made two picks, three picks, one pick, if they made trades, whatever it is, we'll talk through it all uh, there on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Philadelphia Eagles YouTube page. Make sure you go subscribe uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles YouTube page. And then we're going to do the same thing on night two and night three. We won't have those pre-shows, but we're going to have uh, those as soon as the draft ends. We will go live. So it'll be like our post-game show format, uh, but it will be uh, just the three of us on desk. I love it. So definitely check that out. So the exercise today is I'm going to look into my crystal ball a little bit. Say, what are some of the scenarios that could come up that Fran is going to have to talk about uh, specifically after round one? Now, Fran, I don't think you're you're not going to take any like, you know, callers like it's WIP on those shows. However... This is the Ringers Philly special, and this is a thought exercise. And for our purposes, you are going to get some color. So what I've done is I've come up with five scenarios in the first round that could play out for the Eagles. I am going to be Mr. Irrational Eagles fan. You know, your, your bosses, the higher up say, hey, Fran, this year we're going to take some calls. You know, let's let the people have a voice here. And so I am going to be the caller, the irrational caller after each of these scenarios. And you're going to tell me why I'm an idiot. I mean, you're a nice guy, so you probably won't call me an idiot, but you're going to tell me why I'm wrong and defend the pick. Are you ready for this exercise? Are you nervous about this exercise? How are you feeling? I'm ready and I'm excited. You know what's funny is back in the day when I first started at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, we did our draft show and we were live the entire weekend and we did take calls. So this is really back to 2012, uh, 2013, which would be fun. There you go. We'll take you back. All right. Here's scenario one. The Eagles trade up to number seven, and they take Alabama edge rusher Will Anderson. They send the Raiders the 10th overall pick and have to throw in their second round selection, number 62 overall. Fran starts taking calls, and here's what he hears. Fran, this is Max Gene from Maniunk. You got to explain this to me, brother. All I hear about is how the Eagles are one of the most analytically focused organizations in the NFL. What do the nerds say? They say you want to accumulate as many picks as possible. What do the Eagles do? They trade up. Again, and for who? Not for somebody who's going to make their offense amazing. For a pass rusher. These guys always love to talk about how they invest in the defensive line. What good good did that do them in the Super Bowl? Did Patrick Mahomes even have a bead of armpit sweat that night? I don't think so. The Eagles did not touch him. Meanwhile, I'm reading this guy from The Athletic. I think his name is uh, Dan Bruggles, something like that. He said Anderson missed tackles at an alarming rate, 19.3% for his career. Plus, the guy had nine penalties last season. Fran, please make it make sense, my friend. Well, uh, Max Gene, what I would say <laughs> is that uh, the, the big thing you, you want to talk about when you get to the top of the draft, and this the Eagles are the first team since, I believe, 1991 to go to a Super Bowl and then have a pick in the top 10. So this is a rare opportunity for a team uh, that was in a position that the Eagles were in a year ago, and that's to get a blue-chip player. And uh, there are only a handful of blue-chip players in this draft. <clears throat> Will Anderson is one of those players. So I think, number one, you see a player on film, who is locked into the snap count. Uh, he, his first step, his ability to get off the ball is as good as anybody in this class. And that's not necessarily, oh, look how explosive he is, but it's just how wired in he is to the snap count. He's really strong. He's really powerful. And he got better with his hands this year as a junior compared to last year when he was just insanely productive. We're going to get to that production in a second. He's a really well-rounded player, not only get it after the quarterback, but he also can stop the run. And he's got a white hot motor. He fits the play personality of this culture in this locker room is a great fit 
off the field where he brings outstanding football character. Uh, one of the uh, the things are with Nick Saban. Nick Saban will always, yeah, great player, but everything you want off the field. And it's you know we know Nick Saban. It can be hard to get praise from Nick Saban. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, Shield. It's like a Shield Kapadia from the from the Ringer. It's tough to get praise from uh, from Shield, but it's just like it's hard to get praise from uh, from Nick Saban, and he is just heaping praise on Will Anderson. Now uh, we, we have all this data at, at our hands now compared to what we saw. You know, we'll say like five, six, seven years ago, right? So many different services out there charting the game film from college football and Pro Football Focus. You know, they, they put out a lot of this data, and you know, one of the things that now that that allows us to do on the outside from an analysis standpoint is, you know, put together some formulas, put together some spreadsheets and say, okay, we can make a comparative analysis between players. So I have my own little formula when I look at, at front seven guys, especially defensive line and edge rushers and say, okay, if you're going to take a look at their sacks, their TFLs, their pressures, their hits, and look at it on a per snap basis, who has been most productive? Well, Will Anderson, far and away the best score of anybody that since I've started looking at these numbers uh, with mm. anyone with at least 1,800 snaps played. Well, Sheila, I mean, you know, over 2,200 snaps played uh, in his career. As that volume raises up, that efficiency usually goes down. His numbers have been ridiculous, just outstanding production over the course of his career. And he's not doing it in the Pac-12. He's not doing it in the the AAC. He's doing it in the SEC. Just outrageous numbers a year ago uh, as a true sophomore. He had 100 tackles, 31 TFLs, 17 and a half sacks as a true sophomore in the SEC. This guy is a blue chip prospect, everything you want. And you also have the certainty of what he is on the field as well uh, or off the field as well. Will Anderson is a slam dunk. Yeah, no, I, I think that would be an easy one probably for you. Uh, yes. For you. I, did, I did my best with Max Gene there, but <laughs> I, I think Eagles fans would be pretty excited about that. You give up 62, and remember, they still have 30. So you could trade back from 30. You could get some draft capital uh, on day two. As others have alluded to, the Eagles have 12 picks in the 2024 draft. You can dip into that pool if you want more day two picks. But Anderson is just, to me, he's just like the cleanest prospect in this year's draft. Like the durability, I don't know if you mentioned mentioned the durability or not. You mentioned the number of snaps, but he started every game the last three seasons. So durable, productive, premium position, athletic, uh, like he's really got it all. Do you have a, do you have a comp? Like, is there a, a player who I'm not saying, all right, this is definitely, I, I have to, I'll do my like Greg Cosell, um, you know, don't, don't overreact to this, but just a player who he kind of reminds you of, or you say, Hey, the best version of Will Anderson might look something like player X. Well, I'm, I am glad that you asked me that, Shield, because, you know, the, one of the things that we've seen as a knock on Will Anderson is, oh, like, he doesn't look and feel like a defensive end that typically goes off the board in the top five of a draft, right? And I think when you look at Will Anderson, he, you know, he's not the big 275-pound, explosive, super long, super powerful athlete like a Miles Garrett or Chase Young that we've seen in recent years. But honestly, like, the Bosa brothers were not like these crazy mm. physical athletic marvels, right? Uh, TJ Watt, when he was coming out, and I was not the biggest TJ Watt fan coming out of Wisconsin. I missed on TJ Watt. Um, yeah, TJ Watt, to me, if you look at the comparables, very, you could make a lot of comparisons between those two, not just the way they win, but also just the way that they're built. Um, Watt tested, he did the full battery of tests at the combine. Will Anderson only ran the 40 and, you know, above average numbers, but comparable to what TJ Watt did. I think when you look at Watt, even the way that he wins in the NFL, you wouldn't say, oh man, like he's the most uh, physically imposing pass rusher you're going to see on a weekly basis. But he just finds ways to win and his relentless, his play personality, that always puts him in position to post-production. 
I like to see that's why France the best. We can do we can do interracial comparisons of players. You're allowed to do that. People don't know don't do that enough. That's how you know Fran has done his homework. All right, we're gonna get to scenario number two. All right, scenario number two. The Eagles stay put at number ten. Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter slips, and they just sit there, turn in the card, and they take Jalen Carter. Drew Rosenhaus was right. Jalen Carter does not slip past number 10. Fran takes a call. Oh, Francis. Here these guys go again, thinking they're smarter than everyone else. Nine teams pass on Jalen Carter, and they decide he's a steal at number 10. Give me a break. Did the Burts not see what happened at Georgia's Pro Day? Carter was nine pounds heavier than he was at the Combine. He couldn't even finish position drills at his Pro Day. By the way, if he's so disruptive on film... Why did he total a whopping six sacks in 38 college games? Let me guess. You're going to give me some excuse about how defensive linemen in Georgia's scheme don't get sacks. Well, is Kirby Smart moving to Philly? I don't think so. If not, I need my 10th overall pick to hit the quarterback. Please, Francis, make me feel better about this pick. So what I would say when you get to a Jalen Carter, right? let's start at the beginning. Let's take a look at Jalen Carter, the, the high school recruit. He was a five-star kid coming out of Apopka High School uh, in Florida. That's the same high school, by the way, as Hall of Fame defensive lineman Warren Sapp. Uh, and Warren Sapp also slipped in the draft a little bit uh, and turned into a, just a, an unbelievable talent uh, in the NFL, wrecked the NFL for most of the 2000s, right? So when you look at Jalen Carter at 6'3", he again, he checked in a little bit heavy at the at the pro day, 323, which is not like outrageous. Um, he typically played in, the, in like the 310s. And this is a guy that has that ability to win off the ball, just outstanding athleticism, explosiveness, fluid hips, the, the ability to just win in a number of different ways from an athletic standpoint um, did not move to defensive line until his senior year in high school. So he arrived on campus in Athens, Georgia as a little bit of a raw product. Uh, they already had a lot of established players ahead of him. Right. And so he comes in, was able to be that first man off the bench as a true sophomore in that national championship season. And he was a game wrecker. He was the guy, even though they had a record breaking amount of guys go in the first round, that entire defensive line, they had three linebackers get drafted. Everybody to a man in the 2022 draft cycle was saying, yeah, but watch for Jalen Carter. He's the guy. And so he was circled by everybody coming into this year. Is like, all right, that's the guy you've got to be able to stop. He steps in. And yeah, the production is not going to blow you away, but it, the production didn't blow you away for a lot of those guys, uh, as you alluded to uh, <laughs> last year with that Georgia team. I think when you look at Jalen Carter, uh, this is a guy that you think his best football can still be ahead of him, um, an athletic freak. And yes, he had, you know, the, the, uh, the circumstances around the incident that happened in late December, um, tragic, obviously, for everybody involved, including, you know, for Jalen, it's certainly something that has affected him, but you have to remember the Eagles spent two picks last year on the first two days of the draft on Jordan Davis and the Kobe Dean. They've got plenty of Intel into what Jalen is like uh, on and off the field. Um, so as a teammate, what he's like in the locker room, how he's going to fit in the culture. Uh, if those two guys vouch for him and say like, Hey, you know, thumbs up or bring him into the building. Then as an Eagles fan, you got to feel good about that. Right. So I think when you look at Jalen Carter, you look at a guy that was uh, far away, was considered. Yeah. Like take this guy at number one uh, and the Eagles get him at yeah. number 10 in this scenario. Uh, you have to feel pretty good about that. Those chances of that hitting. 
I think this is another one that Eagles fans would be pretty uh, excited about, especially if you're not trading up. If you just sit there at 10, he falls to you, and you're able to take him. They would be pretty happy there. Uh, I asked you uh, for a comp for Will Anderson. so Because I feel like defensive tackle is kind of a harder position to comp because I always bring up, like, does the guy affect the pass rush? Like, would this guy have made a difference in the Super Bowl that the Eagles just played? And then you go through that list of, like, great interior pass rushers, and I don't know, there's probably like 10 in the NFL that you would say, yes, this guy every week brings it uh, week in and week out. Is, is there a guy who his play reminded you of? I don't have a name written down for Jalen Carter, okay. but I, I think when you look at uh, just like what he can do as a three technique, a lot he's built like the, your, your traditional three technique, right? I mean, at 6'3", 320 pounds uh, with 33 and a half inch arms. I mean, he's the prototype. He, he's the guy that you draw up uh, to say like, yeah, let this guy step in and be that three technique for your defense. Okay, gotcha. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with scenario three. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we are back on the Ringers Philly Special Shield Kapadia with Fran Duffy. Let's get to the third scenario. The Eagles stay put at number 10 and take Nolan Smith, edge rusher from Georgia. Fran gets a call. Franny, this is a joke, right? Please tell me the Eagles didn't just spend the 10th overall pick on a 238-pound pass rusher who never had more than three and a half sacks in a season and missed six games last year because of a pec injury. This is a joke, right? Nathan Fielder's going to show up any second now. We all have a good laugh, and then we'll find out who the Eagles really picked, right? By the way, how would Smith even see the field this year? What is he, their fourth edge rusher? Why are we spending the 10th overall pick on a fourth edge rusher? Why are we trying to find Hassan Reddick's replacement when we have Hassan Reddick for the next two years? Franny, I'm getting John Harris vibes here, man. Help me out. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't go that far to go with a John Harris vibe. I think when you look at uh, what <laughs> Nolan Smith brings to the table, yes, uh, he is undersized for an edge rusher, um, but... You know who's also undersized as an edge rusher? How about the guy who's considered the best pass rusher in football right now, Micah Parsons, who, again, he was another guy right around that same size, 31 and a half inch arms, six foot three, right around 240, right? So a very similar height, weight, speed profile. Micah Parsons also broke 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. Nolan Smith, the heaviest player ever to break 
four four uh, to go mm. four three nine. I mean, just in, at the combine, just insane height, weight, speed, athleticism for Nolan Smith. So I think when you look at him off the off the cuff, he was a five star recruit. He was the number one player in the country. Commits to Georgia. His home, he was his home state. He's from Savannah. He stays home. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of pressure on him early on. He comes in and it was a little bit of a slow burn. He had two and a half sacks his freshman year, two and a half sacks his sophomore year. He had to kind of grow into that role, but. He didn't transfer. He didn't get frustrated. He said, you know what? Let's stay the course here. I'm going to come in. I was a role player early on. And then he becomes not just a dominant presence on the field, but also one of the the team leaders. When you talk to people around that program, he was the guy in that locker room last year as a senior. Uh, you could see him You know, after the peck injury. He was the, the coach on the field of the proverbial guy that everybody kind of rallied around uh, when he was on the sidelines there for that Georgia Bulldogs team uh, as they went on their national title run. I think when you you look at Nolan Smith, uh, people automatically think, oh, 6'2", under 240 pounds as a pass rusher, he's just going to be a speed guy. And yes, th- that is certainly something that he's got in his bag, but he's also very powerful. Uh, I think when you look at it, this is a guy that went 41 and a half inches in the vert. He jumped 128 in the broad. Those are outstanding numbers. And those jump numbers typically equate to power. And when you see this guy, he leads with his hands into contact and he could push offensive linemen back into the pocket. And so when you've got a pass rusher in Nolan Smith who can win with speed, he can win with power. He's got to get a little bit better with his hands, no question. But if he goes into a defense where he's asked to get upfield and get after the quarterback, we know the Eagles like to cut those defensive ends loose. And yes, You've got Josh Sweat. You've got Hassan Reddick. But you want to continue to build those reinforcements up. You could never have enough pass rush. And I think the Eagles feel pretty good about where Nolan Smith is and being able to get after the quarterback in year one as the, that first guy off the bench. He could fill a, fill a role on third down and sub packages, and he could spell those guys a little bit. And then also he can grow into a starter, uh, which is what he, again, going back to the beginning, what he did in the college level, grew into a starting position after a year or two on campus. I think Nolan Smith... This, is a, this, this pick makes a load of sense for this Philadelphia Eagles football team. Yeah, just as you were talking through that, I wonder if we see Brandon Graham rush the passer more from the interior this upcoming, you know, depending on the personnel, because obviously you, you lose Javon Hargrave. That's a big loss in terms of interior pass rush. If they're kind of loaded at defensive end, Graham's, uh, Graham's done that before. And, you know, you get your best four on the field. It's third down. Uh, it's those obvious passing situations. I guess that's, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, like how often, I don't know if you have, how often Graham did that last year. Anecdotally, like it seemed like a little, but not a, not a lot, right? I, I would doubt it would be like his career high for that. Yeah, I would think so. I, and I think, you know, again, this is a new defensive scheme, right? So how are these yeah. guys going to be utilized? Uh, all of that stuff would be up in the air. So I think when you look at adding a player like a Nolan Smith to what the Eagles already have with Josh Sweat and Reddick and Graham and Cox and, and the, that entire group, uh, you can get creative, certainly, with the different packages up front and how they're deployed. I like a Nolan Smith. I actually think uh, this per- this caller didn't give their uh, their name, but I think the the issues that they brought up are warranted and are valid. But at the same time, I like Nolan Smith, and in speci- specifically in this draft, like. At 10, it just feels like there's going to be prospects who you're going to be able to poke holes at uh, a little bit. Like he just, I feel like he has the upside. You mentioned it, the personality, uh, the intangibles, the athleticism, premium position. Like he would probably check more boxes for me uh, than a lot of these guys. So I would like uh, Nolan Smith there. Uh, I have my windows. Are, are you an open window? Are you like an open window? 
Friend? I like an open window and it's beautiful okay. outside right now. I'm at home. So yeah. it is uh yeah, I think there's an open window is a, a good move yeah. on a day like today. I, I rather like, than keep it at like uh 62 degrees, uh like like other people we so know. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I got an open window and there are like people kind of walking by or driving by. I'm picturing like Amazon Uncle, you know, delivering something and being like, Why is this guy yelling about John Harris on a uh, random Thursday morning here? Why why has he changed voice tones like three times in the last 30 seconds? <laughs> What kind of freak is living in this house here? He's got a light on. He's got a microphone. Doesn't he have a job? Uh, it is very strange. Is that the, and is that the drummer from Rage Against the Machine in there? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's recording. Let me see if I can hear. All right. Scenario number four. I'll let you know. If Amazon Uncle drives by and just you know yells a draft take or something, maybe he's a listener. Uh, who knows? I, I will fill you in there. All right. Scenario number four. This is a fun one. Eagles trade back to 15 with the Green Bay Packers. They get additional picks in the third and the fourth rounds, and they draft Texas running back B. John Robinson. Fran gets the call. Fran, first time, long time. Please give C-Mac my best. By the way, does that man age? He looks exactly the same as he did 10 years ago. I wonder what kind of moisturizer he uses anyway. That's not why I'm calling. I want to know when the Eagles hired Dave Gettleman as a senior advisor. I mean, a running back in the first round? Seriously? When did we become the franchise everyone makes fun of? Yeah, yeah, I know Robinson's great, and it'll be fun this year, but we're about to pay Jalen Hurts $50 million per year. We need talented players at premium positions on rookie contracts. Did I miss something where running back was an issue last year? The Eagles had the best rushing offense in the NFL. Hurts, the O-line, the scheme, that's what makes this thing go, not the actual running back. Even if Robinson's great, we know we're not signing him to a second contract. This is a flat-out, reckless use of resources. Please, Fran, tell me I'm wrong. All right, so uh, again, unnamed caller. Um, <laughs> if I'm going to respond to uh, to this, so I think the big thing, number one. All right, we go. Let's go to the talent. I uh, Bijan Robinson. I think pretty much every evaluator would say he's a top three, top five talent overall in this class, and I don't think there's a lot of argument to that. He checks every box at the position, not just like in a traditional sense, but also he is a dynamite pass catcher. Everything you want to be able to do with Bijan Robinson in the pass game, you can do it in the run game. He breaks tackles at an extraordinary rate. He, he broke some of those models from that standpoint uh, with all those numbers, according to pro football focus uh, yards after contact force missed tackles. He's just outstanding in that area. He's a big back who's built to carry the workload and, you know, be that kind of foundation player in an offense while also again, being dynamite in the past game. So there's that as far as the value. Uh, let's just say the Eagles had the, the Eagles. Again, they traded back in the scenario to 15th, but let's say they had stayed put and just taken them at 10. That's the, the that contract that Garrett Wilson got last year uh, by the from the New York Jets in that ten hole in the draft. Uh, he got five point one three AAV uh, average annual value in that contract. That would have been the eighteenth highest in the NFL amongst running backs right now. That's behind James Conner, behind Miles Sanders, behind Naheem Hines, just ahead of Jamal Williams, just ahead of Gus Edwards. So you would sit here today and say, "All right, well, the Eagles again. They are in a position where they just won a Super Bowl. They've got that position. They've, they're in a they're one of the best teams in the NFC. They're in the pole position entering the 2023 season in the NFC, 
you go in and you add a blue chip talent in a Bijan Robinson. This is not the New York Giants having the number two pick and throwing Saquon Barkley onto a bad team. This is not the Dallas Cowboys taking Ezekiel Elliott at number four and putting him on an, a, a team on the upswing. This is already one of the best teams in football, adding one of the best talents in the draft and to a team that you know they want to continue to boost their offense. They, they know the best way to be competitive year in and year out is to have the best offense in the game. And right now, that, that is the, the, the Eagles are set at tight end. They've got one of the best offensive lines in football. You've got the quarterback. You've got the receiving core. Now let's take that run game to the next level. Let's add a blue-chip talent in Bijan Robinson. And again, the contract value you're taking him and say that he's not his contract is not going to be wasted uh, for uh, for a bad team. You are now going to take him the 18th highest running back contract in football, and you're likely going to get. I feel pretty good you're going to get a top five type of running back at the very least as a rookie, uh, if not better than that here in 2023. I think that's the argument for Bijan Robinson. Yeah, I think if they did this, my take would be I would not have done this. I don't agree with the use of resources, but man, it's going to be really fun to watch this guy for the next four to, I'm going to be like, I can't wait to watch this offense next year. I mean, he would, I, I think, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, maybe our friends at FanDuel could tell us, I feel like if they drafted him, he would be the favorite to lead the NFL in rushing next year. Like he would, he could be a first team all pro, uh, really as a rookie, that would be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Solak and I have talked about the pluses and minuses about whether you do that or not. I've curious to see where he goes I mean this running back the running back conversation has probably gone too far in you know both directions over the years but that that Barkley pick wasn't that long ago and I feel like while that was getting panned by you know analytics folks there was still a, a larger contingent that was like you know hey he's one of the best players in this draft yeah you take him here now it's sort of swung a little bit where I feel like more people are like no you can't take a take him in the top five but then it's like well how far down do you go at eight, at 16, at 20, at 20? Because like you mentioned, the salary really matters. I mean, if you got him at 30, then he's making like $2 million uh, per year. And you're saying, man, this is actually could be amazing value for somebody like Bijan Robinson, even though, you know, all right, other positions there, uh, you might have them for a second contract, all those things we can talk about. So uh, I'm curious, do you have any, do you have any like uh, guesses about where he might go or any other thoughts about kind of how, how the, the league might view him here or what we might learn about where he gets taken? Uh, it's funny because I, I, today we're recording uh, today's Journey to the Draft podcast in a few hours. And um, one of the things I'm going to present, we were going through uh, myself and Ben Fennel, we're going to go through the like some what if scenarios. Like, all right, like we expect a B C to happen, but what if X Y Z happens? It kind of throws the, the entire draft for a loop. Yeah. I'm thinking like well, Bijan Robinson. You mentioned like at number eight to the Atlanta Falcons. I think there are a lot of reasons why if you're Atlanta, you could talk yourself into it. You mentioned earlier that like in this draft, you get to a certain point in that top 10 and now you can start poking holes in a lot of players. And, and Bijan, really the only hole you can poke is like the value of the running back, right? But if you're the Atlanta Falcons in the NFC South, that division is wide open and you can look yeah. at it and say, all right, well, um, if we are, if you are committed actually to, to rolling with Desmond Ritter last year's third round pick a quarterback and you say, all right, well, who puts us in best position to win this division right now? Cause remember this is year three in that regime, head coach NGM, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. So you say, all right, uh, if you are, if you're this team, Bijan Robinson puts us in position to win this division right now. Uh, and I, I think that that's, I think if you look at the, um, the profile of players that they have selected off the field, uh, I think he checks a lot of boxes. They've 
really pro mm. uh really prioritized like um you know the the leaders and the captains like those kinds of guys the the tough guys uh in all areas Bijan Robinson checks that they've prioritized guys that impact the pass game and we talked about the value that Bijan brings there um but again I just think that when you look at Arthur Smith he came from Tennessee where they had Derrick Henry that bell cow back uh Fontenot comes from New Orleans where they spent a first round pick on Mark Ingram and they uh had a high pick on Alvin Kamara as well uh and they really leaned into the run game I think when you look at Bijan Robinson that, that, I think that's his ceiling in terms of where he goes. And it, it would not shock me if we got there. They, they were asked about Tyler Algier this offseason, who was the rookie that you know was essentially their bell cow a year ago. They're like, yeah, we don't quite view him as that guy moving forward. I believe they said that at the owners' meetings. I don't know. Uh, it would not shock me if Bijan yeah. went number eight to Atlanta. Yeah, they took Kyle Pitts a couple of years ago, right? It's just like, all right, who who do we think is the best player? Kind of a little disregard for positional value. I mean, I keep ripping them because they just keep kicking the can down the road at quarterback. It's like, hey, eventually, I know it's hard, but eventually you kind of have to do something at quarterback. And, uh, you know, Desmond Ritter didn't play until the end of last year. It's not like they were like, hey, this is our guy and, uh, you know, he's ready and let's plug him in there at the same time. If they're like, hey, we're just kicking the can down the road one more year. And then you talk about next offseason, you have Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Bijan Robinson. They just signed both the, the right side uh, of their offensive line. I guess they could talk themselves into that. I like that. I, I think I, I could see that, I should say, uh, the Falcons taking him uh, at eight there. So we'll see where he ends up going. All right, final scenario. And then we're going to get Fran's three, three, three guys Fran likes on day three of the draft. We're going to the deep sleepers. But scenario five, we'll finish it with this one. We're going to move to the 30th overall pick, the Eagles' second pick in the first round. They sit there. They make the pick. They don't trade back. They don't trade up. They take defensive tackle, Kalijah Cansey. We have a call for Fran on the PhiladelphiaEagles.com postgame show. What up, franchise? This is Benny Souls from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Please tell me, what is how we thinking here? Was Cansey a fun player in college? Yeah, absolutely. Is this a good use of a first-round pick? Absolutely not. The dude in this, actually, I should say, this young man is six foot one, 281, with 30 inch arms. He's gonna get big boyed all game in the league. The proof of the pudding's in the eating, and there's nothing bespoke about this pick. Can't see flat out, can't be an every down defensive tackle in the NFL. Come on, franchise. You and I both know this pick makes about as much sense as paying full price for a block of smoked Gouda at TJ's. All right. Well, thank you, Ben. Time again, Benny Souls. If there's one thing I trust you on, is your uh, your value take on cheese. But that said. I think when you look at Klaja Kansi, uh, first of all, when you watch him on film, this guy's a fireball. Uh, he has his ability to get off the ball and win, make plays in opposing backfields. I mean, as good as anybody in this class. When you look at him from a production standpoint, just outstanding. I mean, 14 and a half TFL, seven and a half sacks last year on just, uh, well, look at the snap count, just under 500 snaps a year ago. And he put up those kind of numbers. Um, his ability on third down, you look at uh, third down win percentage uh, as a pass rusher, 25.9. So you look at his overall pass rush win rate for according to PFF, 22.2%. That's higher than any defensive tackle drafted in the PFF era uh, in their mm. final season. So you look at wow. uh, Klaja Kansi, just a guy that knows how to win off the ball. Is he an outlier? Yeah, he's six foot one. He's 281 pounds. He's just over 30 and a half inch arms. He's got extremely mm. short arms. It's not the shortest ever drafted the position. Uh, and yes, there isn't a guy right now that you can, you know, apples to apples in the league right now where you say, oh yeah, look at this guy doing it at this size, but we're not that far from removed 
from Geno Atkins. And we're not that far removed from Grady Jarrett, right? Two of the best defensive tackles in the league just five, six years ago that were doing it at roughly that size. They were right around six foot one. Uh, I know Grady Jarrett was even shorter than that. Uh, they, their arms were a little bit longer, but they also did not break four seven in the 40 yard dash like Elijah Kansi did, right? So um, while, yes, he's not quite as long, if you can't touch him, uh, that doesn't help you, right? So I think when you look at Elijah Kansi, uh, yes, he is a certain kind of player. We mentioned that the, this is a new. We didn't we didn't mention this call, but we mentioned in another situation <laughs> that this is a new defensive scheme uh, here in Philadelphia. So if you're trying to project, oh, well, how would he fit into last year's scheme? What role would he play? It's a new system. It's a new coaching staff from that standpoint. So they, they can kind of uh, work around that. How does he pair with Jordan Davis and with Fletcher Cox and the other and Milton Williams and the other guys there? You can get creative with Kalijah Kansi. Um, and if you're going to spend a first round draft capital on him, you're going to feel motivated to get creative with him, right? If he was a third or fourth round pick at that size, then you would say, oh, you know, like, I don't know if we're going to put that much time and effort. But I think you have a little bit more motivation as a franchise, as an organization to say, hey, you know what? We drafted this guy high. Let's really make sure we get the most out of him. Let's really leverage his skill set. And again, this guy gets after the quarterback extremely well. Really impressive get off uh, the lateral juice to track plays to the perimeter. Um, you're going to have to get creative with him. But. The Eagles know how they, they can get creative. I, I'll be very fascinated to see how Cansey mixes in with this defensive front. Yeah, I actually wouldn't care that, like, if I was unsure about whether he could be an every down player, that probably would not stop me from taking him. And we we just talked about interior pass rush, how hard it is. Like, every scheme, every coach, every GM, that's something they're looking for uh, every year. If I'm convinced that the pass rush numbers you just gave out are going to translate, like, again, I don't keep, I don't mean to keep going back to the Super Bowl, but like, could a play, could the best version of Kalijah Kansi have made a big impact in the Super Bowl? The answer would be yes. If he is smoking guards uh, on the interior, giving you great pass rush, then uh, he's somebody who can absolutely help you. We know teams are going to pass, what, 60 to 70% of the time. It's not like this is somebody who's going to be, you know, a 30% uh, playing time type player. So uh, I think, you know, you can... Now, what about the, the arm length is kind of the big thing here, right? Because you mentioned there have been shorter, uh, squattier defense tackles who have been very good. He has 30-inch arms. I was just looking, uh, as you mentioned, Grady Jarrett. And uh, who was the other guy you mentioned? Uh, Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins. They were both over 32 inches. And it's like, you know, the... the uh, like the NFL is uh, such a weird place version of Shield Kapadia. It's like, oh yeah, two inch arm length. That's going to make a big difference in whether this guy can play or not. What is it like? I don't know. Like I like the shorter guys with longer arms. I, I've heard offensive line talk, linemen talk about those guys really actually have an advantage. Um, how big of a deal is are those 30 inch arms for Kansi? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely that he would be an outlier. And if you look at the guys that are under 31 inches uh, that have been drafted, like in the, just the last decade, I mean, there's only been two and, and they were both wow. day three picks. And so it was, uh, ironically enough, Elijah Qualls was one of them back in 2017 for the mm. Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I think when you look at at that, that size, I mean, that is going to be the knock. If he was 31 and a half inch arms, if he had just like another inch, I mean, we're, I, I think we're probably talking about uh, Elijah Kansi is solidly in the top 15 of this draft. That's uh, crazy, I, I, isn't yeah. it? That's, one, that's if, he, if he had one inch longer arms, we would be, yeah, the, the, you, you could, all these comps would make easier sense and you'd be able to talk yourself into him earlier in the first round. That's nuts. Cause we're, we're not that far removed either. I mean, you know, this guy has not like hit, 
But Ed Oliver went, what was he, number eight uh, to the Buffalo Bills like yeah. uh, just a, a couple of years ago. And there was, yes, there were questions about the size then, but we were closer to like the Geno Atkins, Grady Jarrett era. So you could kind of like wash that away. Um, I kind of, I, I don't know. Look, he's an outlier. There's no question. But it feels like we're seeing more and more of these kind of size outliers come into the league in recent years. And this this season, I mean, Bryce Young uh, and Kalija Kansi are two great examples <clears throat> in Philadelphia just two years ago. Devontae Smith, right? Uh, there's so many people knocked out. Oh, is he going to be able to get off the line of scrimmage? How is he going to be able to you know, play through contact? And that has not been an issue. Um, it just feels like we're going to have more and more of these kind of case studies at different positions uh, in the coming years. I like the Ed Oliver is a good comp. I hadn't uh, heard previously, just looking at the size here, as I brought it up, I mean, he had 31 and three quarter inch arms and uh, Cansey is at what, 30 and five eighth inch arms at the combine. So there you're like, all right, it's not that much of a difference. You know, Oliver was six uh, one and seven eighths, 287. Cansey is six one, two eighty one. So yeah, I, I, I kind of like that one. And yeah, Oliver has been a like solid player. He hasn't, you know, like, like you said, I, I thought he had huge upside, and yeah. I thought he could be like a game wrecking type player. But he's been like a good starter. And you're talking about the if here the thirtieth overall pick. If you get a good starter, that you know that is not a uh, not a bad outcome. I know everyone wants the Pro Bowler, the high ceiling guy. But uh, if you just look at kind of history and the data there. Ed Oliver probably wouldn't be a bit would be a fine outcome for Kalijah Kansi uh, at the 30th overall pick. You'd be happy with that if you were the Eagles. So I, I like that one. I think I'm, I'm in on uh, Kansi. That'll that'll be a fun one if the Eagles take him because then Ben and I can uh, you know argue about it uh, every week next next uh, next year and for years to come. All right. Let's finish with this, Fran. I've, see, I know Fran's like draft favorites over the years. I know a Tredavious White. I know a Tyler Boyd. I think there was a Nick Chubb in there, wasn't there? There was definitely Fran, a Nick love Chubb Nick in there. Chubb, who is like my favorite running back uh, in the NFL. Now, just last year, I believe you loved a hard knock star, Malcolm Rodriguez, did you not? I did. Uh, who you was did. another physical outlier who people questioned because of the arm length as well. That's why he fell. Okay, and he was fantastic for the Detroit Lions uh, as a rookie. So I wanted to get three of your favorite, you know, late-round picks, I will say. Now, maybe one of these guys sneaks into uh, day two. We don't know, but um, maybe, most likely, it seems like these would be day three guys, uh, some of your favorites. Who do you got? Who's number one? So I would say the guy that I actually just talked about him this week over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, we were previewing the offensive line class and just kind of talking through um, someone that I feel is really getting slept on. And that's he's coming from the Mid-American Conference, and that's City Sow, S-I-D-Y-S-O-W, City Sow, who, uh, Shield, he's got 55 starts in his career over the course for the Eastern Michigan Eagles in uh, Ypsilanti, Michigan. So when you look at, uh, at City Sow, um, He's a big boy. Uh, this is a guy who's just under six foot five, 323 pounds. Uh, he's got meat hooks for hands, over 10 and a quarter inch hands. He's got good length. I mentioned that how much, how often he's played. And when you watch him on film, uh, this guy has power. He mashes people up front, instant movement in the run game. He's, he's tough to get around in pass protection. Guys don't just go through him. Uh, even when you watch him against some of the higher levels of competition, <clears throat> I watched him against Arizona State earlier this year. Uh, the Sun Devils could not get penetration. He goes to the NFL PA game uh, and was lights out that week from all from everything that I had heard. I was obviously not down there. Uh, but when you look at uh, his ability to just win off the ball with power in the run game at that size, he goes to the combine 
he tests pretty well across the board, actually really well. He had, he had an RAS of 977, so a nearly perfect RAS at that size. And I remember watching the position workouts because I'm I'm locked in. When, when I go to the combine, I'm sitting there in the stands and just kind of watching guys go through. Uh, I'll go through the numbers later, so I'm not necessarily watching the 40 and the, and the, the jumps and stuff. I just want to see how guys – move around in the position drills. And then you kind of compare that with how everybody, you know, you compare that to the test scores later. It's like, all right, who, uh, who did both really well city Sal, I thought had one of the best position workouts of the offensive lineman in Indianapolis. Uh, and I, I was thinking back, like, all right, who does he kind of remind me of? And I, I went back to like, uh, I want to say it was probably now like a, about a decade ago, there was an offensive lineman from the Mac who didn't go to the senior bowl. He actually, he went to the shrine bowl. He was right around six foot five. He was right around 330 pounds. He was known for his power. He went to the, he actually was not invited to the combine, but as pro day, he tested lights out of the pro day, uh, ended up being a third round pick by the Houston Texans uh, and was a little bit up and down to start his career. And then he went to a second team and he turned into one of the best guards in football. And that guy was Brandon Brooks. Mm. These guys are very similar from a body type standpoint. Uh, And I think when you look at like just the way that they're built, the the skill set at their disposal, the power in their game, City Sal, I'm not saying he's Brandon Brooks. I don't don't like making those kind of comparisons, but I think there's a lot to like from the the profile and certainly from the storyline standpoint. Now, our friend, uh, Bo Wolf, uh, friend, I use the term loosely, <laughs> uh, would point out that Sal, I believe, will be a 25-year-old rookie because he had this sort of, you know, this strange path to the NFL. I don't, I don't, do we care, how much do we care about that in the, uh, in the, on the third day of the draft, if in the later rounds? Because like you said, it's not like, I would be more concerned if he just popped last year and it was like, yep. all right, he's had more time in the weight room. But like you said, he's made 55 starts in his career. Are you a, uh, are you an overager? Like, uh, d- do you hate that? Do you like that? Do you not care? Or what about in this specific case? It's like um, you know, what I would compare, and there were different positions, but it was like Chris Olave last year, and I, th- I believe Bo was down in Olave uh, last year because because of oh, the no. age thing, right? Should I we point out was. all of the uh, things Bo has gotten wrong? Maybe we'll do that next time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I believe he was down, and it was like, oh, you know, he's a, he's an older senior, and I think the big thing is when you look at uh, when these guys, when do these guys break out? Um, because watching Chris Olave, yeah, like he was a, a extremely technically proficient at Ohio State, but. He was technically a professional Ohio State as a freshman and as a sophomore. Like he was the same guy year after year after year after year. I think you look at City Sal. I mean, as a true sophomore in 2019, his first year at guard, he started 12 games, uh, didn't give up a sack. Only gave up two hits in the quarterback, right? So uh, this is a guy that's been really proficient from a young age, uh, and, and just happened to say, "Hey, you wanted to go back and play that extra year after the COVID shortened off uh, season of 2020." So um, I won't knock him too much for that. Uh, yes, okay. you do have to kind of take that into consideration, but uh, I think that with City Sal, I'm willing to overlook that. And I'm also not taking this guy in the the first round or the top 45, top 50. If we're talking like day three, I'm also willing to kind of forgive some of that as well. Gotcha. All right. Who is number two? Uh, let's go to a pass rusher, uh, Nick Hampton from Appalachian State. 6'2", uh, 236 pounds. He's built like a Nolan Smith. He's built like a Hassan Reddick. <clears throat> and I think when you look at Nick Hampton, um, the big thing that stands out to, my, to me, you know, you, you cover a lot of uh, a lot of Phillies uh, here on this podcast. I know you talk plenty of baseball. Uh, he is like the equivalent of a, uh, a raw pitcher coming out of uh, like the high school or college ranks that has one pitch and he's got like that, that change up off of that. 
And he knows it and he works well with that. And you can work with that. And that's kind of how I view Nick Hampton. Mm-hmm. When you watch him, yes, he's, a, he's an explosive athlete. He cracked four, six in the 40 yard dash. He tested really well across the board and that matches up on tape. He's a, a really fluid athlete, um, but he's got a legit fastball and change up his go-to move. Uh, he's going to lean into like that long arm and everything that, that starts with like that bull rush, but then he's got uh, a little like ghost move off of that. And that's, I talk about like the development of Josh Sweat over the course of his career and his evolved like pass rush plan. When you watch him as a as a rookie back in 2019 or 2018, uh, you know he was still kind of figuring it out. And then you saw him really lean into those long arms and those bull rushes. And you're, all right, you see he's got the power and that he's really kind of working on that his placement and his timing with his bull rush. And then in year three, where he really took off. That's where you started to see him use that ghost move. You started to see him use like that stab, slap, rip, or, hey, here comes my fastball. Oh, no, actually, I'm going to slap your hands away, and I'm going to turn the corner. I think when you look at Nick Hampton, he's got that right now. Uh, he's built a lot differently. He's, uh, he's uh, again, 6'2", 236. He's got pretty good length. I happen to like guys that are shorter and longer. That's like that Aaron Donald type of build. Yeah. Uh, you've got the small strike zone uh, going back to baseball. You've got the small strike zone for blockers to be able to hit, but then you also have that length to kind of like keep them at bay as well, right? So like Aziz Ojolari was one of those guys. There are a lot of guys that come out every year that have that kind of build. Um, and Nick Hampton happens to be one of those guys. He's not getting a lot of buzz right now. Uh, you know, maybe it's just because of the school, but um, you know, Nick Hampton from Appalachian State, he would be a guy that it wouldn't shock me if he went like in the second round, even uh, just because of what mm. we're talking about. But uh, I think when you look at him and the skill set, uh, there's a lot to be excited about. You're, you're such a sicko. The first two, a guard from Eastern Michigan and an App State edge rusher. I mean, really, you 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 need to talk to somebody uh, about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dane, Dane Brugler had Sal, by the way, going in the fourth or fifth round in Hampton in the third or fourth round. So like there you go. said, maybe, maybe uh, on that fringe, maybe someone likes him and he goes earlier than we think. All right. Who is your last guy? And then we'll let you go. Uh, I'm going to go with an LSU DB, uh, and I was really, really high on Jalen Mills when he came out of LSU, uh, and I thought the, the Eagles got outstanding value late in day three. I thought he was a day two talent all day, um, and I think that when you look at Jay Ward coming out of LSU, uh, a lot of similar kind of qualities where he's over six foot, he's under 190 pounds, but he's got great length, 32 and a half inch arms. He's built like a corner, but he has spent a lot of time at the safety spot. Now, he was a starting corner in 2020. He's been a starting nickel corner throughout his career. The kind of uh, went in back and forth between that the last two years between playing safety and nickel. So um, with extensive starts at all three positions in the secondary, I love that positional versatility. Uh, This is a guy that I think is a very fluid athlete, tested pretty well across the board at the combine. You're worried a little bit about the about the weight, you know, uh, right around just under 190 pounds is not ideal. Uh, But this is a guy who plays with great energy and passion. He's a very violent finisher uh, as a tackler. uh, Shield. You know how much I appreciate competitiveness as a defensive back, and I think that that's something that really stands out with Jay Ward. Played a lot of pure press uh, over wide receivers, and again, as a potential safety, that coverage skill set is so, so valuable, especially in today's game. Uh, and then when you bring that like aggressiveness downhill in the run game, I just think there's a lot to like there. You're just starting to like check boxes off with Jay Ward, uh, a safety from LSU. My guess is that he's probably in like that you know third, fourth round range. I'm interested to see what Dane has him at uh, in the Beast. Yeah. I thought he was comparable to Nazir Adderley coming out of Delaware, uh, who was, a, I believe, a first-round pick by the Chargers, if not a second-round pick a few years back. Um, but Jay Ward is a guy that has really caught my eye throughout the process. 
Yeah, I, I like this one uh, from you. I have not grinded the J-Word film, but I was looking at the three guys you sent me, and I was like, well, I could really see this one. Just looking at need for the Eagles, you mentioned it. I think Dane had, uh, Ward had started 13 games at safety, six at nickel, four at cornerbacks. I mean, there's nothing that NFL people like to talk about more than versatility, and you know, most of the time for good reason. Some of the time it's nonsense, but if you really like the player and you're like, ooh, you know, and he's going to be a depth defensive back for us and he can play multiple spots and like you mentioned he has that competitiveness uh, a lot of ball production too 23 passes defended and six interceptions in 23 starts dane had him as a fifth round uh projection so uh i like that one a lot that's one where kind of team need team need could match up with the player there all right fran this was fantastic. Amazon Uncle didn't come by, uh, unfortunately, but you know, maybe next time we can get kind of their uh, draft thoughts here. Uh, tell the people everything you've got uh, now coming up, all the plugs. Um, you know, you, you can get them out there, even though Jimmy Kemsky, when he was on, I think he declined to give any plugs. But hey, you got me. You, come on. This is your season. This is draft season. What do you got going on? <laughs> well, I'll take all of Jimmy's plugs. So uh, <laughs> so uh, obviously we have the, the Journey to the Draft podcast um, where we every single week we're doing like full position previews and so you can go back over the last few and Dane Brugler and I every single Monday that drops on Tuesday uh, we're going through position by position all the players you need to know not just in the first round or second round but all throughout uh, the entire NFL draft so uh, we cover probably like 30 40 50 names every single week on those early wow. podcasts with Dane and then myself Ben Fennel Greg Cosell another litany another round table of guests as well uh, every single week two episodes journey to the draft podcast and then uh, check out Eagles draft Central. We teased that earlier uh, over on uh, PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles YouTube page. Uh, you know, we'll be doing that uh, live throughout draft weekend. I love it. He's got a lot going on. If you are a true sicko, if you can't get enough draft coverage, Fran is your man. Check out Journey to the Draft and all those other things. Fran, thank you for joining me. We will have you uh, on again another time, and I'll probably just pretend I'm a WIP caller for that exercise as well. Hopefully, uh, you've got some more, some more names picked out for the callers uh, for that one. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Fran. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome back to the Ringers Philly special. Thanks again to Fran Duffy of PhiladelphiaEagles.com. The man is a machine. He is a great uh, draft analyst. Love hearing his opinions, his analysis every year. All right, we're moving on to Cliff's group chat. A lot. I mean, April is a just a loaded month. I love it. A lot going on. Uh, Cliff, what do we got going on this week in Cliff's group chat? All right, so it's a return of our old friend, Shill. We have to we have to talk to my boy, Donnie Delco, since we're starting to take voicemails again. He okay. dropped a little nugget that he wanted to talk to us about the Phillies. And uh, our boy, uh, Bryce, possibly eyeing a return earlier than expected. So, Shill, I'm going to have you just take a listen to what Donnie Delco had to say here. Yo, guys, what's up? It's your boy, Donnie Delco. Uh, real quick, wanted to talk about Bryce Harper moving over to first. Uh, honestly, I love the move. I think we all as a uh, society forget that this dude was a highly touted catcher out of the Las Vegas region 
back, uh, you know, 12 years ago. So with him moving to first, number one, he understands how the ball moves in the dirt, picking the ball, et cetera, et cetera. I think he can stay down on a ground ball like I do every so often in my beer league softball team. But uh, honestly, I love the move of bringing him to first. The Reese Hoskins injury was heartbreaking. But uh, I think with Derek Hall out and the Phillies not planning on making any major moves for like Crone or anybody, uh, I think this is the next best option. Did you watch? Ma- did you watch Mayor of Easttown? Uh, I did. I did. Mayor, I'm a I'm, big fan. I'm a big fan. Yeah. It was a great show. Uh, when I hear when when that was playing, the one thing my wife and our family we did, we would just say, "Should we get a hoagie for dinner? <laughs> Want a hoagie?" Like we could, we could. When you watch it, you can't stop doing that. Uh, like Donnie Delco there. So uh, yeah, to get to his question, this was reporting from Matt Gelb of the Athletic. We'll give him uh, credit because I think this was an exclusive by Matt. Nice job by him. Great story up there on the Athletic that Bryce Harper approached. Dave Dombrowski, Rob Thompson, and said, hey, I want to take reps. I want to learn how to play first base. And they were, you know, they had discussions about it. Should he do it? Should he not do it? And now I think Rob Thompson called it full go, that he is preparing to be able to be an option at first base. So what does this mean? You know, I don't think it necessarily means he would come back to the lineup earlier. I mean, all along the projection has kind of been he can come back as a hitter before he can come back as a fielder. But the thought I had and from all the reporting was that he's just going to come back and be a DH this year and that's it. Like the Tommy John surgery, he's not going to be able to play the outfield. Well, playing first base, yeah, do you have to throw the ball sometimes? Yes, but it's not going to be as strenuous as playing outfield. So apparently he thinks maybe that's something he can do. They obviously lost Reese Hoskins. Alec Bohm has been playing first base What I think the big deal here is, well, first of all, it's awesome that you just have like your best player and MVP coming up with ideas to help the team. I mean, I I just, uh, I love that from Bryce Harper, but also in terms of do they need to add someone between now and the trade deadline? Well, now you have some more flexibility. If like Bryce Harper's able to play first base and there's a hitter you love, but they're only a DH or they're an outfielder, well, now you can think about bringing that player on because there's going to be flexibility to add that guy. And then looking ahead, we know Reese Hoskins is a free agent after uh, 2023. You have options for 2024, whether it's Harper or Bohm or whoever. So uh, I'm all in. I love, I'm a sucker, Cliff. I don't know about you. Anything about a player switching positions, I'm just like, I love this, whether it's corner to safety or tackle to guard, or in this case, DH outfielder to first base. I'm all in. We'll see if he can do it. I think he's going to be able to do it. I mean, this is one of the most talented players, uh, you know, we've seen in what, 20 years. So I think he's going to be able to do it. I love it. And, uh, you know, if it opens up some flexibility for them in terms of the lineup, other players they can add, then that is a huge bonus for them. What do you think about it? Yeah, I'm all in too. Uh, And it's simply for the fact that first base isn't like taxing, right? Like it's not the hot corner. It's not like third base where you get all the action from the righties hitting it down the line. First base is more of like a chopper line slash, okay, if a ball comes to you, the pitcher's running the first anyway and he's making the out, or you could just take a quick jog whether the ball was hit pretty fast going down the line and you know you're more likely to get the runner out than anything and like you said you really don't have to throw from that position whereas this dude just came off tommy john surgery and he kind of needs his arm so he you know at most like what happens at first base at most you have to throw to home maybe if somebody hits like a ground ball maybe the second for a double play or something but yeah and then you run back to first and then get that double what is it that three 
what is that a three six three double play or something like yeah. that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love it. First of all, I just love that this guy just wants to get back and help the team, right? And like yeah. you said, it gives him more flexibility. I I think all right, you add him in the lineup and you take out you know one of the lower guys in the lineup, cave the, or well, somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a, like a cave or somebody who you really don't want to play every day anyway. So you just add a more potent more potency to your lineup. And first of all, our guys like our our mashers, quote unquote mashers, are struggling right now. Schwarber, he is batting 188 on the season, which he batted what 212 or 220 yeah. or something like that last year anyway. But he still led the uh led DNL home runs, which is which is what he is. He's very much I'm either strikeout, I'm a fly out, or I'm this is going far. Um yeah. and JT Real Muto batting 200 on the season. He needs to step up as well. He'll most he'll most likely get his average up to, I would say, around give or take like 260, 265, probably in the season around then anyway. He's just struggling right now. That's just the ebbs and flows of the season. But get this, the young guys, right? Bryson Stott, as we know, he's currently on a 12-game hit, uh, hit streak, 420 on the season. Brandon Marsh, 387 on the season. Alec Baum, 333 on the season. Imagine if all these guys just get on the same page, started hitting with runners in scoring position. How scary would this team be with adding Bryce Harper back in the lineup too and have him playing first base and you can keep yeah. Baum at third base? Oh, man. Like, think of the endless possibilities, right? Like, yeah. wouldn't that would have to be the best team in the division at that point, especially, you know, I, again, we're not – we're currently, what, four wins four or whatever? Eight, yeah. Yeah, we're currently four and eight, but – Right now, we're 21st in the RBIs. I'm assuming we would jump up to at least, I would hope, top 13, 14 in RBIs after maybe a month or two of Harper returning and then, you know, finally get some damn runs on the board. Um, our team average is fourth in the league, by the way, 282, fourth in the league overall. So it's not like they're not getting on base. It's just yeah. that they're just not hitting the ball in time in a timely fashion. And what does Bryce Harper do the best? Yeah, absolute clutch runners and square. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like, yeah, we didn't talk about this before, so I don't know if we were gonna have the same take or not. But yeah. uh, you're looking at it, and you're like, the Phillies are four and eight. They blew a game, you know, Wednesday to the Marlins, lost three to two. They went three and three on the homestand. Yep. They've only won one out of four series. I feel like if you zoom out a little bit, throwing Bryce Harper in this lineup with the way the young guys have played. I mean, yeah. Bryson Stott, like you mentioned, has been fe- – I love him. In they the let him off spot. yesterday. He, I mean, he's the most yeah. patient hitter in the lineup. He's smart. He's hitting the ball well. I love that move. Boehm is hitting the ball harder than any other player uh, on the team right now. If you just look at kind of percentage of hard hit balls, he's top 20 in the majors right now. Like he's making the leap. You mentioned it with Marsh. I think he's got the highest OPS on the team. Like to me, they're just, they're getting a little unlucky. Like it's, it certainly has felt a little unsettled, but they're top five in doubles. They're tied for most triples and they're only homering once every 38 at bats, which ranks 25th. Like, those homers are going to come. Like Cassianos, Turner, and Real Muto have combined for one home run. Like that, I mean, those guys are going to start crazy. hitting. Yeah, they're going to start hitting. Usually, the extra base hits translate to home runs, right? That's what we've learned yep. about baseball. So, uh, I actually think. They're going to, I still like the pitching. If I had a concern, it would be more about the pitching than the lineup. I feel like when you plug Harper into this lineup with the way the initial, you know, signs of the young guys making a leap, like this is going to be a really, really good lineup. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. the second half of the season. Maybe it's like last year where you're, I mean, I think it's going to be like last year uh, or whenever Harper comes back, whether it's end of May, June, whatever. But uh, I still feel uh, really good about this lineup, really good about this team. It'd be nice if they could stack up some wins, but uh, I I am far from kind of panic mode uh, with them right now. All right. What else we got 
on Cliff's group chat this week. All right, all right. So as we know, the Sixers are heading, are going to face the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And sure, we know this. Like this, this is you know story of our life. Sixers win the first round. What is it? What are you thinking, gentlemen? Sweep, maybe five, maybe six games if the Nets you know somehow pull out one in Brooklyn and maybe steal the first game. You know, just based off of the laziness we've seen sometimes from game one from the Sixers. <laughs> <laughs> and we know we all know how that, you know how that could that's always a possibility. But I was just thinking long term, and yesterday this like really ran through my mind. Um, just when you know I'm watching all these hot take shows, I'm watching. Mad Dog scream at Stephen A. on first take. You know, James Harden has to do something in the playoffs. And Joel Embiid, if he wins the MVP, there's more pressure on him to do something. Yada, yada, yada. It's looking like Joel Embiid's finally going to win that MVP. Just, you know, just from the early races, just from what we've seen from, you know, the voters. We've had our own Bill Simmons say he voted for Embiid. Pretty sure Ryan Rosillo voted for Embiid as well. I was going to sure. say, Cliff, is it yeah. any is it is it any coincidence that we launched the Ringers Philly special, <laughs> and now we you know we've got we've got the big guns at the Ringer are saying Joel Embiid for MVP. I don't know if we get a little right. credit for our influence, you know, so maybe some internal pressure there, but uh, that that didn't go unnoticed. Sorry, yeah, continue. I, I, that. Sent, I sent Ryan and Bill some lengthy texts during the uh, <laughs> during Embiid's late season run, and and you know they they responded well. So shout out to, shout out to them too for voting for Embiid. <laughs> And, um, you know, I'm kind of over that conversation now anyway. All right, cool. If you win it, you win it. It is what it is. But yeah. we need to get out the damn second round or we could just really be seeing a crazy reset button here coming for the Sixers. Think about it. James Harden's about to be a free agent. At this point in his career, is he more? does he care more about being comfortable or does he care about actually winning? There's been rumors talking about him going back to Houston after this and how bad has Houston been? They're bad yeah. enough to where seven-foot-four prospect – Victor Wimbignana could possibly be a rocket next year. And James Harden is going to be a free agent after this season. So maybe let's say he, you know, he waits on his decision to, to sign, you know, till after, after the way after the draft anyway, because that's how the timeline lines up anyway. And then, you know, they, they somehow land Victor is, I mean, if I'm hard and wouldn't you think long and hard about going back to Houston, especially if Victor Wimbignana got drafted to Houston. And on top of that, your star player, Joel Embiid, we all know he loves Philly. We know he loves going to the Jersey Shore. We know he loves staying here even in the offseason. Listen, we know Joel loves Philly, but how much longer as a star can you be frustrated in Philadelphia after not getting out of the second round yet again? Like, and it looks like we're headed for the second, you know, let's get past the Nets here first. Looks like we're headed to the second round and you will play Boston. Boston is not our matchup. We talked about this last week. We said they neutralized our third best player. So then who else steps up? That has to be McDaniels. That has to be Melton. That has to be P.J. Tucker hitting a couple more threes than just maybe one a game and playing some good defense. That has to be, you know, Daniel House playing some good defense. That has to be George Nayang probably going off one game, maybe going seven for nine from three like we've seen him do randomly yeah. and just play poorly the rest, of the, uh, the rest of the series. Like, I told you this. I just don't see where the win is coming out of the second round with Boston, especially because – I think they're Boston's about to sweep the Hawks and I think they're about to obliterate the Hawks. I don't even think it's going to be, I think it's going to, they're going to win by like an average of 10 to 12 points per game. So they're going to be fresh, ready to go against the Sixers in the second round. Sixers probably, like I said, gentlemen sweep, maybe six against the Nets. You know, maybe they do sweep the Nets, whatever. But Boston's going to be rested. Like it's not like they're going to play Miami, who, you know, Miami basically plays football instead of playing basketball. So I'm highly concerned here. After, if you lose in the second round again, 
where like what is about to happen to the Sixers? Yeah. Like, what do you think is about to happen? Because I think this thing could fall apart really, really fast. Yeah. All right. So uh, I feel like the Sixers, there's like 400 different directions we can go yeah. in. All right. I'm going to sp- let's split it into two quick conversations. First is our playoff expectations. And then let's get to that. What right. happens if the most likely scenario uh, happens and mm-hmm. they don't get out of the second round? So uh, I'm with you against the Nets. I mean, I've got Sixers in five. What, what's your official prediction? What do you got? I think it's, I think it's five. I think it's a five. gentleman sweep. Okay. And I don't think, yeah. I think they'll blow them out like three of those games. Yeah. Anyway, and I think, Maybe two of them will be like tight, a tighter contest, but yeah. the Nets just don't have like that team is really bad. They don't have enough. They just got a bunch of good wing players, and they got Mikel Bridges. Who, I mean, oh god, he oh so man, good. yo, he'd be I, getting NBA questions Ironman. about the Phillies. Oh, oh my god, NBA Ironman hasn't I missed know, a game man. in his career. Hasn't missed a game at Nova. Just yeah. balling out, balling out like crazy. With Brooklyn, inefficient too. It's not even like. You know, yeah. he's just he's like, oh, well, they have to pass on the ball. Like, no, he is getting buckets over there playing defense with Brooklyn. And yeah, he w- he was a sixer. He literally was a sixer. And, Dude, there's so many yeah. like there's look at the Sixers draft. There's if you could just reverse one of those. I mean, yeah. you got the Markel Fultz. You got the yeah. Ben Simmons. You got the Mikael Bridges. Like if you could just reverse one of those decisions. Yeah. Think about oh it. Oh, my Jaylen, God. If he's so Brown different. And Brandon Ingram, oh. Right. You oh, got, my God. Uh, what was Markel's? Was Tatum? Tatum and Ball and yeah. like De'Aaron Fox, right? Yeah. And then you got Bridges. I even, you know, it's funny in that draft. I actually wanted them to get Porter Jr. because I'm like, look, you do the rookie red shirt anyway, so you might as yeah. well just you might as well just draft Porter Jr. Just stash him and then figure it out later. Because you know, what did that pick end up being? Like Dario Saric or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, Bridges I mean, would be such a fan favorite. I mean, uh, he, he oh, he's man. from he's from he's from the area. Exactly, he's a huge like, Phillies fan. He he walks the, into he his like walk into the stadium. He's wearing you know Philly shirts. Philly. Yeah. He's 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 like a sicko. You know, Mike Trout's like a sicko Eagles fan. Yeah. Mikhail Bridges is like a sicko Phillies fan. Like he he, he is like, tweeting he about stuff you wouldn't even think about. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh, it's, that, that one that, hurts. Yeah, that I hope he scores. Hurt. You know, thirty three a game and and the Sixers <laughs> still win. But uh, nothing right. but. Love for Mikael Bridges. Yeah. So I think Sixers. Oh, that was Zaire five. Smith. My bad. I said Darius yeah. Sarge. That was Zaire oh, Smith. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah. I thought you were talking about a different one. Yeah. That was yeah, Zaire yeah, Smith. Sure. Think of Zaire make... Smith. Didn't, I don't even know I how know. many NBA games he ended up playing. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, if you look at FanDuel, the Sixers are huge favorites, minus 800. That yep. equates to like an 89% chance uh, of winning if you look at the implied odds. I'm with you. I think they they win in five. There will probably be a game two or a game three where they treat it like a preseason game, and you're like, do these guys know it's the playoffs? Because that's just kind of their MO. I'll tell you why it's important, though, this first-round series. We just need to see what James Harden looks like physically. I mean, if you told me like the January-February Sixers – if they ended the season playing that way, I might be coming on here saying they're going to upset the Celtics in the second mm-hmm. round. I mean, they were playing that well. I thought their ceiling was that high. And then the, they end the season. Harden has the uh, Achilles injury. The end, they end the season with a whimper there. So I want to see what he looks like physically. Are there? Mm-hmm. Does it look like a version of the January-February Sixers? Or does it look like the, the team we saw down the stretch there? That's going to tell us all we need to know about whether they have a chance against the Celtics. But, uh, I mean, it, it just hasn't looked the same uh, for them. So... 
to talk yourselves into it. We discussed it last week. Like uh, like you mentioned, a win over the Celtics. It has to be something unexpected. It has to be Maxi playing better against the Celtics than he's played. It has to be your role player stepping. It has to be, even if Embiid like puts the team on his back and I could see him just having, mm-hmm. delivering this like all-time series. The Celtics can't series. do anything. They, they can't, can't do anything, anything against him. him. Yeah, they can't. I mean, he could, he could have an all-time series, but you could like, you, yeah. pr- you might still lose if something the, else doesn't happen there. The only thing they do to neutralize him a bit is on, was when they, when they're on offense and then they play Horford at the five because then they'll take him out the pain. He, you know, he's yes, defensively. The rim. Yeah. No but other doubt. than that, like offensively, like Robert Williams is too undersized for him. Al Horford is kind of too slow. Like Al Horford back in the day, that used to be like the Embiid stopper. Yeah, that's not the case that anymore. That is no longer the case. No. Like Embiid is way more physically like imposing than Al Horford. Um, than Al Horford was like back at that time when he could, you know, pre-pandemic could cover Embiid. Now yeah. it's just like Embiid sees Celtics. It's like it's lunchtime. Like yeah. he's he's going there. I'm getting 40. I'm getting 50 on his team. But it's the others that just their production just falls because of how good the wing play and the guard play is on Boston. And how good they are defense just defensively. Like, like I said, six, what what is Tatum now? Six nine, Jason Tatum, six, 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 seven, Jalen Brown, Derek White, yeah. six five, six, six. Uh Marcus Smart is six three, whatever, but defensive player of the year last year. Uh who Brogdon might be six man of the year this year. Like yeah. uh Grant Williams. It's there's so there's just so much depth at the wing position. And that's where they kill us because they can just guard everybody that we have and they yeah. switch on everything. So their their philosophy is always like, all right, Embiid is about to do this, right? But on offense, we'll just play Horford at the five and he'll just stand, you know, stand on the shoot corner, shoot threes. some threes, yeah. shoot some threes. And then they're, they're they, obviously they like driving to the paint because they switch. <laughs> when they see Harden, whenever the Celtics see Harden and Maxi, it's like, all right, this, this, this is our time to feast. Switch. Maxi, come here. Harden, switch, come here. They cannot yeah. keep up with, you know, with the foot speed with those guys whenever they switch. Because, you know, the Sixers switch on everything. So it's like, it's it's just going to be a tough one, especially when Maxi and Harden are on the floor. So uh, essentially what the Sixers have to do is just be crazy efficient and kind of be lights out from three. And I'm thinking like over 50% from three if they were to play the Celtics. And that that's just going to be tough to do, man. I I don't know. I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer on this pod, but I'm just being right. real with y'all. Like I can't be I can't lie to y'all, you know? Yeah, I mean, I hate the I hate the Celtics. There are teams that, you know, yeah. special sports. Despise I hate them. The, Yeah, they're they're one of them, so I'm hoping this Give, give me your di- top 3. Give me your top 3 teams that you just hate. So, you like know, for, I, uh, as a as a quote-unquote Philly fan. The Mets mm-hmm. uh the Mets and the Celtics easy. The Mets and the Celtics are the two to me that I'm just <laughs> like. Will say that other team. I would say you know what? Sometimes that just because the Patriots are so. Uh, now I know that's no, not that's like a that. Philly person, that. but that's just in general. Who who do you you have the Cowboys? It's I guess. Easy Cowboys. Okay. Cowboys okay. Mets Celtics. It's not even okay. There yeah, there's, there's no contest with that. Uh, so the Sixers right now are plus four fifty to get out of the East. That gives them like an eighteen percent chance. So they're going to be big underdogs in that uh, in that series against. Boston. So uh, my prediction, if I just had to go on the record, I think they beat the Nets in five, and then I would say lose to the Celtics in, let's say, six, even though that, that won't be what I'll be rooting for. But I think that's that's kind of my on-the-record prediction. What do you think about uh, just kind of yeah. how where, where do they end their season? I think the Celtics, I think it would I think it would go six because the Sixers, I mean, as we saw, I mean, again, last game of the season, they didn't have Jalen Brown, but there's still, there's some, like I said, you have to shoot the lights out you got to play, you know, good perimeter defense in order to stop them. And 
Embiid has to protect the rim, and you have to figure out a strategy when Horford plays the five to kind of switch that matchup and neutralize somebody on the Celtics. But it's just going to be tough, man. Celtics are going to have the home court advantage. We all know Jason Tatum is a mismatch problem for us. We all know Jalen Brown's a mismatch problem for us. We know they like the feast on Harden and Maxi when they're in the lineup together. There's just going to be a lot of like Doc Rivers. All right, I need to play Melton here in this situation. I need to play McDaniel's here for his length in this situation. And we might not see a lot of PJ Tucker in that in that series as well because just because he's kind of on the smaller end, that might be more of a McDaniel's Daniel House thing. Just because their length will at least bother Tatum and Jalen Brown somewhat. So. Yeah, I I think it will go six. Look, I, I hope I'm dead wrong. Like, I pray to God I'm dead wrong. Yeah. And they just somehow figure it out and upset the Celtics. But I think that's kind of just as how it's going to go. But I need you to answer the back end of that question. What yeah, let's finish that? with that. Yeah, let's yeah. finish with that. What happens if if they lose in the second round again? Oh, man, I thought this year was going to be different. Maybe it will be. Let's see. Anything? In, by the way, every year there's like a key injury in the yeah. NBA playoffs that totally changes the team's outlook. Now, a lot yeah. of times it's to the Sixers. Right now, Embiid looks very healthy. He'll be yeah. rested. So if you're optimistic, that's something that you say, please just let him get through the playoffs healthy and let's see what happens. Boston, you never know, you know, what could Dale happen. Brown uh, uh, messed up his hand with a right. plane with a vase Yeah, that weird story. Like that. Right, yeah. That with a vase. That, so yeah, that did a- not seem, uh, all right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, but yeah, you're yeah. right. Those things happen in the playoffs. So let's see. All right. But let's say they get they lose in the second round of the playoffs. Who gets the who gets the blame and what do they do? It's a good question. I mean, Harden, let's say they lose and Harden doesn't play great. It's kind of like, are you still talking yourself into that for another year? Like you said, the ball's going to be in his court. He might just say, cool, this was fun, but I'm going to go finish my career out in Houston. I like playing there. Like you mentioned, maybe they're kind of a young up-and-coming team. And then what do you have? I mean, I still am a big Maxi guy, but you still wouldn't, and you still have Embiid healthy in his prime MVP caliber. So your floor is very high, but then you talk about how do you get to that next level? I mean, I don't know. I have no idea what their move would be. They got no picks. You got no, there's there's no easy no answer assets. to upgrade the roster. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what Daryl Morey would do there. And then the other question is always like, you know, Doc Rivers has taken a lot of heat when they lose in these playoff series. You mentioned, uh, you know, Bill Simmons earlier. He had Doc Rivers third on his coach of the year ballot. I don't know if you heard him say that uh, on yeah. his pod earlier. Overall, yeah, overall, we killed Doc, but like. He's done a good job this year. Yeah, like, and, yeah. and you a know, good it's enough funny. job. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Last year, I didn't, I felt like he wasn't doing a lot of like experimenting. This year, they kind of tinkered with some lineups, like the backup lines, like with Paul Reed and seeing how Melton plays with starters and seeing how McDaniels plays with starters. Like, just kind of a little bit more experimented towards the end of the season and shuffling. Yeah. That's why, you know, the team wasn't – they didn't look as strong as the season ended. So, like, I'll give Doc credit for that. And at the end of the day, like, if you lose to the Celtics, like, what can I? What can we say about Doc? Like, is that – I agree with that. I mean, like, they won 54 games. Like, I don't feel like they've underachieved. And if they yeah. lose to the Celtics, I'm not going to feel like they underachieved. I'm going to feel like the Celtics were a better team and it wasn't because yeah. of coaching. So that's the thing. You, you know how it goes. But if you lose again in the second round, something's, hap- you know, something's happening. I don't mm-hmm. think you're just going to run it back. But that's kind of the other interesting question to me. I mean, the player thing, it's like I, I have no answers for you. I don't know what mm-hmm. you do. You see what yeah. Harden decides and you go from there. 
there. Daryl Morey, that's why he gets paid. Does he have something creative up his sleeve? And then the coaching thing, like I don't love Doc Rivers, but I don't look at this team and say, you know, wow, they if they lose in the second round, it's because of Doc Rivers. I mean, they've, what, more wins than any season since, what, 2001? What, that that yeah. Iverson year, I, I think it was. So you can't really look at them and say they've underachieved. Maxi has gotten better. Uh, you've gotten the, a version of Harden, yeah. the best you could have hoped for, Embiid. They changed how they used Embiid this year, and it's been this just like unstoppable force where he's just catching the ball we've talked about at the elbow, and it's harder to double-team him, and he's making great decisions. So I'm with you. They've made, they, they've done good things. They've managed the personalities good enough, um, and uh, I don't know what it would mean for Doc Rivers or whether that's the route they'd go because they feel like they need to do something or whether they just run it back or whether there's a uh, choice number C that we're not thinking of. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Again, I don't know where you go in the coaching direction. Like, I'm sure there's some up and coming coach that people always have in their Nick mind. Nick Nurse might be out right in Toronto. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. But. Right, but does Nick Nurse make a difference? I like, agree. Yeah, it's, Nick it's Nurse. First, Nick Nurse yeah. with this team isn't getting you out of the second. Right. You know, he's not going to. I don't think he's going to be the difference in whether you beat the Celtics this year. I, I don't think that would be. It's the a person. It's a really it comes down to personnel thing. Think about it. Sixers are like the third best team in the NBA. It just yeah. sucks that the two other teams that right. you have to beat are just in your conference. You know, maybe the Suns with KD, but yeah. the Suns don't have the depth that the Sixers do just because they traded away their depth to get KD. But it, yeah, like I, I think Doc overall had a good year. As much as we like to pile on him, and as much as like in certain in game situations, I'll look at it and be like, whoa, what, what the hell are you doing? Like, what is this? Like? Why is <laughs> yes. he? Why is That's he in the definitely game? true? Yeah, like why is he in the game over him? And but I like I like Doc I like Sam Cassell I like uh, my man Danberg yeah. does the defense I like the staff like overall yeah, I just that's been good I literally think it would just come down to a roster construction thing the Celtics just simply have a better roster yeah simple as that they have young wing players all of them fit you know all of them fit well together they got bets over there all of them fit well together same with the Bucks they yeah. got bets they got young players and they got arguably the best player in the NBA. It's just that's just how it falls, man. Like sometimes yeah. you just not your team just isn't better than the other team, and you really can't blame anyone. Now it'd be different if the Sixers were in a position that the Bucks were in, and they were to lose to you know, um, let's say they were to lose to like a Cleveland or they were to lose to like a uh, like a Knicks as or a favorite, like, yeah, right, right, right. Like you're the favorite, kind of like you know that Atlanta series when you know we had a right that's different, here, yes, had a former player here who passed up a a dunk and you know, pass it to his teammate who missed the free throw right after. Um, but that's, that's another story for another day. <laughs> and even then that's like, is that even doc's fault? You know what I mean? That's why he, he was still here yeah. after that. Like, how can you blame somebody for something like that? So yeah, I think doc overall has had a great season. Number one, he made, he turned and beat to an MVP caliber player in the what three years he's been here, the three seasons he's been here. And B's been up for the MVP conversation every single year he's been here. Cause he's gotten better and challenging beat every year. Yeah, man. I, I think overall, Doc did a great job. Like, I, would yeah. would Eric Spoelstra make this team beat the? You know, right? Make this team beat? I just think the person it'll just be a personnel thing. That's it. Like, yeah, just be, I, I'm it, with you. Yeah, yeah you can point to those coaches. Be better Team C. Yeah, you could point to those coaches and say, we think those coaches are better than Doc Rivers at the same time. I don't think you could point to a coach and say, I would feel good about their chances of beating the Celtics with Coach X. So uh, yeah. that's how I see it. We'll see. I'm sure, listen, when if they lose, when they lose, we're probably going to be on here going, what was Doc <laughs> thinking here? Because that's how the NBA yep. playoffs go. Um, at the same time, uh, if you want to be optimistic about the Sixers, I think 
their path would be, hey, Harden looks great against Brooklyn. Let's go. They look like the January, February Sixers. They've got a chance uh, against Boston. Or it's just, can MB deliver like an all-time mm-hmm. just, I am not letting this team lose. Sure. I am putting the team on my back. Uh, mm-hmm. A series we'll be ta- telling our grandkids about, you know, years from now. Like, with a player like, the guy's the MVP. I mean, that's in play with a player mm-hmm. like that. Like, you're going to mm-hmm. have the best player uh, in, in, in every series you play. And so you always have at least a little bit of a chance. So maybe we'll be a little bit more optimistic uh, in the weeks ahead. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I love the NBA playoff series starts mm-hmm. Saturday uh, against yep. Brooklyn. Definitely listen to Chris and Raheem. They did the uh, the the preview there. All right, Cliff, finish us off. What, uh, what, and, what do you got? Real quick, we got some really great voicemails this week, by the way, too. And oh, we okay. Played, we played from we played our boy Donnie Delco. So Philly, man, please keep yeah. sending us voicemails. Eagles. Phillies, Sixers, Flyers yeah. takes. I definitely want to hear uh, people's opinions <laughs> on the Flyers because no one's been talking about them. So <laughs> I want to hear some stuff. 215-315-7982. Again, folks, call in. 215-315-7982. I'm going to put the number in the uh, description. We got some great voicemails. Make sure your voice is heard. Also, let's do that. I, I love that. I love when we play the uh, voicemails, both, both for the draft stuff and mm-hmm. for this. And all right, mm-hmm. another successful edition of Cliff's group chat the feed will be on fire in the weeks ahead big month we got phillies we got sixers playoffs we got nfl draft it's all happening at the ringers philly special thank you to cliff for producing and also headlining this segment thank you to fran duffy from philadelphia eagles.com we'll have sixers coverage on here when they start the playoffs and then next week ben and i will continue with our Eagles draft coverage. Talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on the Ringers Philly Special.